One of my favorite parts of that song is when it starts going into that, why do I worry? Because God's not worried. I think those words speak volumes to me and uh, probably should speak volumes to all of us because it helps us remember that although this took so many of us by surprise, what's happened over the last four months, it didn't take God by surprise. Um, Here's what I've come to realize over the last several months. God knew that the church in the United States of America needed to be refined. God knew that uh, there were things that were a part of how we did things, how we perceived the life of a disciple um, that, that, that weren't true Christ-following things. And, and, and he enabled us to learn, and we're still learning in the midst of this season. There's a refinement uh, it's been something that I've talked about with our staff. They've talked about with me. We, our, our elders have talked about. Uh, I, I've, I've talked with other ministers, and they're seeing the same things. There's something that we were, we might say privileged, but that almost sounds like it's only a good thing, that we had access to uh, as Christians in the United States. Uh, and there was a lot of comfort, uh, and, and, and there were a lot of ease and we've experienced just a taste, just a taste, I mean just a taste, sip, of what believers have had to endure throughout the centuries as followers of Jesus. And I'm talking just a sip. Um, you think about the, the history of the church and the early centuries of Christianity and there was oppression and a hostile environment and the church thrived. There's something about difficulty that reveals uh, what's true and what's right and what should be. The refiner's fire for precious metal does the very same thing. And I think there's a refinement that's continuing to happen in the church in the United States of America. We've said that the church in the United States is just a small part of the much bigger church. The language I use around here is that we're part of the big C church. That's disciples of Jesus, past, present, and future. And Lebanon Christian Church just gets to play a small part in that story. An important part in that story, but a small part in that story. So my hope is, as we come back together in a large gathering for the first time in four months, just think about that. That's a third of our year uh, we have not been worshiping in a large gathering like this. I thought it would be wise to look at some of the lessons that I believe God has been teaching us in this season. Probably lessons that some of you have already learned, but if we're honest, all of us are still learning some of these lessons and there's still much to learn. And what I want to do is, as we look at those lessons, I want to allow the Word of God to reflect on those to show us that that these are really timeless for the church and for followers of Jesus. I want to give you kind of a picture to help you process what I'm going to share. Um, it's, it's, It's a metaphor. It's an analogy, if you will. I want you to picture a huge box truck. Uh, You know products get into our stores because they're transported by semis, tractors, and trailers, and and, and, and box trucks. I want to picture the biggest box truck you can imagine. It's full of, you guessed it, boxes. Um, Those boxes have products in them. Each box has its own product. Those products were made at a factory during a particular season, and they fulfill their purpose only as they're delivered to the store, but even more so as they're taken off the shelf and they're brought home and and used by us. 
When, when, when Apple creates its cell phones in China, its ultimate goal is not to leave them in the factory in China. Its goal is to get them transported to various parts of the world. And their goal is not even to get them on the shelf at a store, although that's a huge help. They want them to end up in your pocket being used by you. And so our hope is that we'll um, look at these products. And what I'm going to tell you, the products are the lessons that we've learned during the pandemic. The box truck is the pandemic. And there are lessons that have been forged. They've been made during this season that we want to unpack. We want to open up. And we want to, yes, put them on the shelf to see them. But we want even more to incorporate them into our lives and to, to learn from them, to grow from them, to be changed by them. Uh, That's not an exhaustive list of the lessons that we've learned during the pandemic. Just four that I've chosen. They're not in any particular order. Uh, But I think there are four profound lessons that we've learned from God in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, Here's the first one. Here's box number one. If we were to take it off the box truck, open it up, what's inside? Uh, And it's this. The church is not a building. She's a people. And there's some of you thinking, Craig, I've known that. I've known that my whole life. I know that the church is not a building. I know they taught me in school that, you know, you, you, know, you, you fold your, what, how you do it? You open it up. You see all the people. Like, they taught me that. I know the church is not a building. I know it's the people. But what happened when our church buildings closed? Did you listen to what people were saying? My church is closed. People scrambled. What am I going to do? How am I going to grow as a follower of Jesus? It's as though they felt like The church was a building. It was a place that wasn't open. But the church has never been a building. The church has always been people. It's the redeemed people of God, and the Spirit dwells within the church, disciples of Jesus throughout time and space and history. That's the church. And so that means that the church can't close. It doesn't matter if there's a stay-at-home order. It doesn't matter if there's social distancing. It doesn't matter if there's a judicial mandate. The church cannot close because it lives inside of each of us, every follower of Jesus. The church is not a building. It is a people. And the beauty of what we see in the body of Christ throughout history, I alluded to this earlier, is that the church thrives. The church is thriving around the world in places much smaller than this. The church in North Korea, the church in China, the church throughout Asia, the church in Africa, they don't have ornate buildings. They don't have large campuses. Most of their gatherings are much smaller, and the church is thriving. Why? Because the church is not a building. She's a people. The church is a people. If you are a follower of Jesus, if his spirit lives inside of you, you're part of the church. And and the doors can't close on you. God is using you. God is working in you. That's lesson number one, box number one. The church is not a building. She is a people. Box number two, if we take it out of the truck and we open it up, is that we have seen the beauty of the church at its best. During this season, if you look around the world, you will see instance after instance all throughout the world of God's people the church rising up and being the hands and feet and voice of Jesus. There's story after story, and I know we get distracted by a whole number of headlines, but believe it or not, there's a lot of good happening in our world. And at the forefront of so much of that good 
is the church, God's people. We have seen the beauty of the church on full display. And the beauty of the church, when the people are obeying God and realizing you know, his identity as God's children, they're far more beautiful than our most ornate cathedrals and, and church buildings. The, the church at her best distributes hope and peace and comfort, not just through word, but through meaningful acts and help. And we've seen that in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We could talk about things happening at a global level, but I want to zero in more locally, and I want to talk about the things that we've been a part of as a church community here at Lebanon Christian Church. Now, if you're a guest this morning, please understand that none of this is shared as, as a way of Patting ourselves on the back, it's not being uh, braggadocious in any way. If you're watching online from somewhere, this is not drawing attention to LCC. This is drawing attention to God. I want you to see how he's used the beauty of his church as a transformative force, even in our community, how he's used you. Uh, let's start back in April. You were a part some of you through the money that you give faithfully to our church, some of you through your volunteer hours, and feeding hundreds of people in Boone County as Lebanon Christian Church, through your support and through your time, was able to support the work that the Boys and Girls Club was doing in feeding people in, in, in Lebanon and Boone County. You were a part of that. Hundreds of people for a week in April were fed because of you. That gift was matched by another donor in our community, and it resulted in two weeks full of meals being provided for people. Lebanon Christian Church partnered with Shalom House here in town, and we provided all the means for the food for the month of May for the sack lunch program. That's you making a difference. It's the beauty of the church at work. Lebanon Christian Church threw a small little lunch party for one of our long-term care facilities in town when they were particularly uh, ravaged by the coronavirus in their facility. Um, people from Lebanon Christian Church came and supplied a meal and uh, expressed their gratitude for what they were doing in a really difficult season. That doesn't even touch that there are people that are part of Lebanon Christian Church who are, are working in FFA in our county. And they were a part of securing meat and dairy from farmers, not only to support farmers, but also to support people in need in, in Boone County and beyond. That doesn't even mention there are people that are part of Lebanon Christian Church that were a part of the seniors at Lebanon Christian, Lebanon Christian High School. No, that's not what it's called. Uh, Lebanon High School, and as they helped frontline workers during the month of May. And that doesn't even acknowledge the people that during the months of March April, May, and June, and now into July are grocery shopping for neighbors, visiting those in need, writing cards, picking up medication. You know how beautiful and transformative that is? And that's the church. That's the church. And that's a lesson that we should learn in this pandemic, that the church at her best is radiant and beautiful. She's not divisive. She's not destructive. She's radiant and she's beautiful. So box number one, the church is not a building, she's a people. Box number two, the beauty of the church at her best is something we've learned. Box number three, we have learned in a very hard way the importance of equipping the church, the importance of equipping disciples of Jesus. I will tell you just from the perspective of our staff, we were so disheartened throughout the early weeks of this pandemic when we heard from person after person who said, I don't know how to do this for myself. 
And the this was, I don't know how to follow Jesus for myself. What do I do when I can't gather with my life group? What do I do when I can't uh, be a part of a Sunday morning worship experience with a bunch of other people? And that showed us that we have to do a much better job of equipping people to be disciples, to own their own spiritual journey. That's what we see from Jesus. He, he, he teaches people and then he releases them to live out their life as a disciple of Jesus. And we have seen that we have so much work to do in equipping the church to be the church. And we're already taking strides uh, to, to be more um, intentional in how we help people grow as disciples of Jesus, to take ownership of their own spiritual journey and then to invest in other people. Disciples making disciples. That's box number three that we've just learned the importance of equipping the church. Box number four, and this is one that just resonates whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. We've learned that digital communication is no substitute for human connection. Digital communication is no substitute for human connection. You cannot measure relationships in pixel density. You can measure TVs that way, but you can't measure relationships that way. Relationships happen because of proximity, physical proximity to other people. Now, are we thankful for Zoom? Are we thankful for Google Meet? Are we thankful for teleconferences? Yes, but it's not a substitute for being in proximity to people. Even at six feet apart, doesn't this feel so much better than looking at people through a television screen? Like, we need people. And that's something that's been highlighted in the midst of this pandemic, that digital communication is no substitute for human connection. And I think that as I listen, and I listen intently to people, they're saying how important it is to be around other people. I've even heard from introverts, people who tell me they don't even like being around people, how much they crave being around people. You know we know we need human connection when people that don't like people want to be around people. That's box number four. Digital communication is no substitute for human connection. So here's our four boxes. The church is not a building, she's a people. The beauty of the church at her best. The importance of equipping the church. And the fourth lesson, again, there are others, is that digital communication is not a substitute for human connection. That's why I will say, by the way, if you're watching online and you are able to worship with us in person, it's just your preference to be at home or you're watching somewhere in another community in the United States, find a local group of believers to connect with because it's, it's way better than just watching it on TV. I promise. So we have these lessons. How can we make sure these aren't just lessons that Craig finds fascinating and they're actually influenced by the Word of God? That's where we take our products out of the box truck and let's put them on the shelf. And the shelf's gonna be, we're gonna look at them through the lens of Luke chapter nine, verses 51 through Luke chapter 10, verse 24. And what you're going to see is the very things we've mentioned right here have been anthemed by Jesus for generations. Luke chapter nine, verse 51 through Luke chapter 10, verse 24. We are not going to read uh, all of these verses. We're only going to highlight a few. I know some of you like it when we read the whole text, and I'm just going to disappoint you from the get-go this morning. There is a theme. I won't say it's the most important theme in 951 through 1024, but there is a theme that's recurring in these verses. And it centers around this idea of being sent, S-E-N-T, being sent. There's a theme in all of Luke's gospel. We said this at the very beginning of studying the gospel of Luke, that Luke highlights more than any other gospel writer God's love, care, and concern for people outside of the Jewish family. He, he's always highlighting Gentiles who come to follow Jesus, the good news for the Gentiles. We see this championed again in Luke's work 
we call Acts as the church moves throughout the Roman world and influences people for him. Luke wants us to see that Jesus cares desperately for people that don't yet know him and don't have access to him. So it shouldn't surprise us that in these verses he hides his idea of being sent to bring the good news to people. In the first section, verses 51 through 56, Jesus sends his 12 disciples to Samaria to go before him and prepare the way. Here's how it says it. Verse 52, Luke chapter 9. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. He sends his disciples. What's really cool about this word sent is if you look at the original language, it shares the same root word as our word apostle. It speaks about someone who is commissioned, someone who is anointed, someone who is set apart for a specific purpose. And in carrying out that purpose, they carry with it the authority of the one who sends them. So here are the disciples sent with the authority of Jesus to go to Samaria and prepare the way. They're on official business from King Jesus in Samaria. They're sent. Now, the Samaritans don't receive them very well if you read the whole account. They reject them. In fact, it it stirs up John so much, he wants to call down fire on Samaria. Like, hey, way to be compassionate, John. And the point is not the reception of the disciples, but that they were faithful in fulfilling the task that Jesus gave them to do. If you fast forward to the next section, Luke 9, 57 through 62, as they make their way from Samaria towards Jerusalem, we learn In verse 50, I believe it is, of chapter 9, that Jesus set his mind towards Jerusalem. He was resolute in finishing the work that God had given him to do. So they're moving from Samaria towards Jerusalem. The disciples are moving with Jesus. And two would-be disciples approach Jesus. And those two would-be disciples say, hey, Jesus, we want to follow you. Uh, We we, we want to do everything the way we see other people doing it when they follow you. And so Jesus engages in a dialogue with them. What comes out through the dialogue is that while these guys are interested in following Jesus, They're not yet ready to go all in on following Jesus. They're not ready for the commitment and the cost of following Jesus and putting him first. And here's what comes out in that dialogue, verse 60. And Jesus said to them, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now I know you could say, Craig, the word sent isn't there, but do you see the principle Here, if you follow me, is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to tell their people. I want you to bring the kingdom of God. He wants to send them. And that's exactly what we see in chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Look at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Again, the word sent there is the word that has the same root, the word apostle. It has to do with going with authority. So Jesus, similar to what he did with the 12 disciples in Luke chapter 9, now sends 72 out to go before him in the communities in Galilee. He sends them on official business. And if that's not enough, what does he command them to do along the way? Verse 2, he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do what? Send out laborers. Now, that's a different word for send. It has to do with gathering and kind of pushing people out and pushing them onto a mission. But still this principle of sending. Jesus says, you're sent. I'm sending 72 to do my work, bring the kingdom of God. And, and oh, by the way, pray earnestly. Like, that, that's a hard word, right? This isn't just, you know, pray when you think about it, but it's like diligently pray that God would raise up other people. Oftentimes we talk about the harvest being plentiful and the workers being few, and we just cut the verse off there, don't we? 
well, you know, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. What about the rest of it? Earnestly pray to the Lord of that harvest would send out workers. So these disciples who are being sent at the same time are praying for God to raise up other people to be sent. Do you see this theme of being sent, sent, sent on mission for Jesus? Would it surprise you that just as Jesus sends out others, that he himself was sent from God? Our theme for this little mini-series in the book of Luke is follow me. The very heart of being a disciple of Jesus is choosing to follow Jesus, follow him in his actions, follow him in his beliefs, taking the truth that he proclaims and accepting it for yourself, even when it doesn't resonate necessarily with what's culturally acceptable. We're choosing to follow him. And so Jesus sends people just as he himself was sent. Look at verse 16 of Luke chapter 10. He, he, he shares about how it's going to be really hard for these communities in the Galilean region uh, because they've seen Jesus' life up close and personal. Really harsh words for Capernaum. That was his home base of operations. They've seen Jesus for three years. They've watched him. They've seen the miracles. If they don't believe, oh, buddy, look out. But look what he says in verse 16. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who did what? Sent me. Jesus is sent. And that's the same word used in verse 52. It's the same word used when the 72 are sent. It's with authority. God sends Jesus with authority to do official business, to bring the kingdom of God near. And what does Jesus do with his followers? I'm going to send you on official business to bring the kingdom of God near to people. He's highlighting that the very heart of being a disciple of Jesus is being sent on mission to bring the kingdom of God. What does it mean to bring the kingdom of God? It means not only to proclaim who he is and what he stands for and his truth, but to live it out in our lives. It's both the message and the mode, the message and the life that follows. And that's what Jesus sends his followers to do. Now let's take our boxes on the shelf Let's pull them to the front. They call that fronting shelves in the grocery business. And let's take the light of Luke and let's shine it on there. And let's think about these boxes for a moment. Box number one, the church is not a building, she's a people. Who's the church? Disciples of Jesus filled with his spirit. Hello, what did we just see in what Jesus did with his disciples? Followers of his, his disciples. And what, what are they? Are they a place? Are they rooted in Capernaum only? No. Is it all about Jerusalem? No. No, they're a people sent with his message. We are a sent people. And so when we talk about a church, it can't be a building. It has to be a people because we're not tied to one location. We're sent out into the world. One of the greatest misnomers in the body of Christ is how we separated missions and made it a separate thing. Missions we typically mean as going into the world and sharing the gospel with other people. And we say that that's a certain fund that does that. That's a certain team that does that. No, you'll never see that in scripture. Missions is the heart of the church. We are all sent to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Some proclaim that good news in every corner of the world that we can't get to. And the rest of us get to proclaim it right here. We're all on mission for him. We are all sent. The church is not a building. She is a people we are sent just as the disciples were, just as the 12 were, just as the 72 were. We're sent in the same way. We, we, we get to the, the beauty of the church. 
when, when the 72 go out on mission, they have similar results to the 12. If you read in Luke 9, the 12 come back. They tell Jesus, oh, here's, the, here's the miracles that we did. And Jesus even gets away to a quiet place to kind of probably hear these stories. The 72 come back with stories. They, they go on mission for Jesus, and they're healing people, and they're making a difference, and they're sharing the good news of Jesus. They're bringing the kingdom of God to where they are. And, and if you read that last part of Luke chapter 10 that we're not looking at today, you will see Jesus say these words, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Jesus says that as you're out living for my kingdom, it is a blow to the enemy. When, 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 the, when the disciples go and they bring God's transformative power, both through word and deed, it changes things and it wrecks and rocks Satan's world. When, when, when the church is at her best. That's what we're doing. We're rocking the enemy's world. We're bringing the good news of God's kingdom both in word and deed and making a difference. We are a sent church and that sent church brings beauty where it goes and it's radiant beauty. Talk about equipping. Hello, he sent the disciples out. He sent the 72 out. He trained them for three years and sent them on their way. Are we training people to equip them to be the church? No matter what season will come. You know how the church thrives in places like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, um, Kazakhstan, any of the stands. If your name's Stan, I'm sorry. The church thrives in those places because the believers are equipped. They're equipped. And so seven believers can meet in the basement in someone's home and they can be the church because someone has equipped them how to study the word, how to pray, spiritual disciplines, how to live the Christian life. We have to be a church that equips. That's what sent disciples are. They're equippers. They're equipped and they equip other people. It's disciples making disciples who make disciples. You want to talk about human connection? How did Jesus send out the 72? Do you say, hey, thank you, buddy. You just go off by yourself. Have fun over there in uh, Bangladesh. Enjoy your life. No, he sends them two by two, right? There's something about being with other people. What happens when we're on mission with somebody else? You get discouraged, what can someone do? Lift you up. You get out of line, what can someone else do? Bring you back into line. There's some accountability, there's support. All those things happen. Jesus knows the importance of that connection, so he sends them out in twos. A sent church is the type of church we've described with the lessons that we've just learned. And here's what that all means, is that in this refinement that's happened in the church of the United States of America over the last four months, we've realized the real church we should have been being all along. And that's a sent church, a church on mission for him. And when it happens, it is beautiful, and there's human connection like no other. And we cheapen that word fellowship in the church in America so often. It's about donuts and coffee, right? That's what some people think about. But the biblical concept of koinonia, the, the, the deep fellowship, it's this, it's this bond, this shared life together, because people are on mission, encouraging and supporting one another in the work of God. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. So as we finish up, let's take you back to the box truck. That box truck showed up at a factory. These products were created in a particular season. They're loaded on that box truck. That's our pandemic. It transports these lessons to us. They're on the shelf. We've seen them through Luke's gospel. Yes, there's merit to these. Yes, they matter to the heart of God. Now what happens to those items on the shelf? Are they going to stay there? Or are we going to pick them up or are we going to take them home? Well, we allow these lessons to transform who we are and how we live from this point forward or we just chalk it up to, man, we learned a lot during this season, but guess what? I'm going back to what I was doing before. 
Because this is a real danger. One of the things I heard through the first three months of the pandemic from people were how much they, they didn't realize how much they missed the simplicity of their family life. They loved getting around the table and having meals together. And it was awkward at times. Like these families that hadn't been eating together, hadn't been sharing meals together, like they stared at each other for a while. But, but suddenly they figured out that there was beauty in being present with each other. And, they, and I heard people say, you know, I'm never going back to that. We're going we're to have a, uh, uh, an easier schedule, not as busy of a schedule as a family. And then as things start to open up at the end of May and the beginning of June, and now we're into July, some of those same people are saying, I'm just tired. And that's what we said in March. And we were thankful for the time, and, and now we're, we're, we're losing the lessons that we've learned. And I hope that's not the case for the church. Let's not lose the lessons that we've learned. Let's be disciplined. Let's follow him. Let's be honest. And let's follow him with all of our hearts. I'm going to pray. Um, but before we do that, I have to share, there's, there's more things that have changed here. And so we're going to go to a staggered dismissal for the foreseeable future. I know it's kind of an abrupt transition. Um, I would rather just go into the prayer, but you have to know kind of how things are going to work going forward. Um, starting this week, um, when I finish the prayer that I pray at the end of my message, uh, we're going to move into a closing song. And as that closing song begins, here's what we ask, is that if you have a preschool child in one of our preschool environments, that you would send someone, you would go, um, or you would send the other um, parent or guardian uh, to go get that child. We ask that only one parent or guardian or grandparent goes per family but we understand that sometimes you have multiple children in the preschool environment, so you're going to need extra hands. So if that's the case, go. Maybe you have a child that has some um, emotional or physical disabilities of some sort, and they need help. And so you can, you, can, you can send both parents. There's no problem with that. But when that closing song begins, our preschool parents need to leave to go um, get their children from their environments. When the closing song ends, we're asking that our parents of children in our elementary age environments, first through fifth grade, that they're dismissed. Again, if you can send just one, that's great. But if not, that's fine. And you can go and secure your children from their environments. Then after that song, um, I'll give announcements, and then I'll dismiss everybody else following those announcements. That's kind of the staggered dismissal we're looking at. Again, the whole purpose is to try to encourage some social distancing. We do ask that if the weather is nice like it is today, like, enjoy visiting outside. We've got some beautiful greenscape. Do that there, and that'll keep us from having too much overlap in the building. Um, because I know that there are some of you that absolutely do not care. Uh, you, you, would, you would swallow me up in a hug right now, and, and you would breathe all over me. Um, but quite honestly, there are people that it does matter to. And we want to walk with grace and respect that for everybody. And so that's why we've put some of these things in place. Anyway, clear enough instructions. Uh, let's pray, and we'll sing together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for allowing us to come back uh, and worship in a larger gathering. God, even as I say it, I thank you for being so faithful in our worship over the last four months, even when we're not in a larger gathering. God, help us continue to see more and more who the church is, who we're to be, how we're to follow you. And God, help us to see that and help that to stand out against the culture so that we follow you first and foremost all the time. Help us, Father. Lead us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.